Move, go, walk, and flow. This podcast, Special Needs in Motion, is dedicated to helping individuals learn to move and function at their best. Listen along to learn a little, laugh a little, and be inspired. Please like and share so others can have access and join our community. Well, let's go. I'm your host, Ilana, a physical therapist, product developer, mom, wife, author, blogger, and known to many as the idea therapist. I love a great discussion, connecting and coaching the families with whom I work, and it is a pleasure to be your host. Just a quick note, if you would like to sponsor an episode, please reach out to me, Ilana, I-L-A-N-A, at theideatherapist.com, or check the show notes. And any information shared on this podcast should not be taken as direct advice, and you should consult your local therapist, professional, or doctor before trying anything suggested in this podcast. Hi, this is Ilana, the host of Special Needs in Motion, and today I'm with Rebecca Duval-Scott. She is a mom and has become an expert in sensory processing disorder. So without further ado, I think you're going to all find this extremely interesting. Rebecca, welcome. First of Thank all. you, Ilana, for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm so excited that you reached out to me, and I know it was a little touch and go there, but it, you know, with everybody's schedules and everything going on, it takes us a little time to get things together, but I'm so excited about this, and I think this is really my first podcast I've done on sensory processing and the challenges, and with your background and your expertise in writing and the books you've written, I think that you have so much to share with us. So maybe you could first start by telling us just a little bit about yourself and your background and kind of how you came to know sensory processing disorders. Sure. Well, um, before I graduated college, I got an internship as an interventionist, a behavior interventionist with children with autism. That's where I kind of started this line of work. And uh, didn't know that the good Lord was going to give me a child of my own that had special needs that would need that type of um, intervention. But when Jacob came along um, around three years old, we were seeing some things at around the two-year-old mark that were flagging some issues. And I didn't think it was autism because I had worked around that so much. And there were certain things that didn't fit the autism spectrum. And even as an interventionist, I did not know that sensory processing disorder could stand alone from autism. I knew that all people with autism had sensory challenges, of course, but I had no idea that you could have sensory processing and that be the only problem. So um, we ended up, I had to fight with the doctors to get anywhere and we ended up pushing for speech therapy and he didn't even qualify for first steps, which is something that we have, you know, here in our home state that we do early intervention. We didn't get into that in time. But by the time Uh we got into a speech therapist, she's the one who flagged sensory processing disorder and sent us to an OT. And that's kind of how we got diagnosed and how I got into it. What were some of the things that you saw at like age two that were kind of flags, would you say? Well, he was wild. Um, And I know people joke about their kids being wild and, you know, there's funny memes going around and different things. But this kid was like literally tearing the curtains down. He could run into the walls and bloody his lips. 
he would run past cousins, grab hair. He grabbed the little cousin around the neck at one point when she was a baby and carried her several feet towards the steps before a parent could get to them. Um, wow. Just no sense of body awareness, no sense of how his actions impacted other people, no amount of discipline. And I mean, this is the behavior interventionist talking, no amount Uh, of discipline, right. right, Could get this kid under control. But then there were things like he had very low eye contact and to get him to look and focus and listen to what I was saying and even get an answer out of him. And his eyes are darting back and forth and his body's vibrating. I mean, it was just, he was more than a hundred percent boy handful. He was unmanageable. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Okay. You mentioned a difference between sensory processing disorder and autism. What what are some of those differences? Well, sensory processing disorder is really how the body intakes sensory information from all of your senses. It processes it in the brain, figures out what's important to pay attention to, and then it outputs a behavioral response. So, When you have a malfunction of the nervous system with your sensory part, something, your wires are getting crossed somewhere. So with Jacob, he wasn't even getting all of the information into his brain. It was kind of like a country road in his brain where he was not getting all the information and he was not processing it correctly. And so he was outputting the wrong behavioral responses, which is what we were seeing. And then autism you not only have the sensory part going on because it's also, of course, autism is a malfunction of the nervous system as well. But so not only do you have the sensory going on, but you have um, the impact on the communication skills and the impact on the social skills. So Jacob was still pretty social and he was still trying to communicate. So those were the big differences. Got it. Okay. That's really clear for, I mean, that's real helpful, I would say, for people to hear and understand because that question comes up a lot. Yes. Well, and it helps, it helps me to think of it being on a sliding scale of nervous system function. That's one of the things that I talk about in the book is on the low end of the scale, you kind of have your learning disabilities, your ADD, ADHD, your sensory processing disorder, and then it climbs up the scale towards Asperger's and it climbs even further up to your severe autism. So it's kind of where do you fall on that scale? And the lucky part is wherever you fall, if you have the right interventions and things, you might be able to slide back and forth a little bit and improve things. Yeah. You know, I've always said like, we're all on a spectrum on that. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. And in, I sometimes explain to people that we all have ways that we help our nervous system process and integrate sensory information. We, we try to make that a more normal behavior, but when it interferes with your day-to-day life, then it usually falls outside of that range of normal, right? Absolutely. Yes. I've talked a lot about how we all have preferences and there's things that I can see in myself now that I've learned so much about it that I probably definitely was a sensory type kid, but I was a little more of an avoider. Like I would, mom talks about how I had to have my socks just perfect inside my shoes or my shoes kept coming off. You know, there were little telltale signs I can look back on and think, ah, yeah, that was sensory going on. But it did not inhibit my life and my functionality to the point where it was affecting my son. So there is a line that goes across into dysfunction. And how do you get a diagnosis? Like someone who thinks their child might have it, what, what would you suggest? 
Well, the OTs, the occupational therapists, are the best route. And um, the funny thing is, is well known as sensory processing disorder is starting to gain some momentum. It's actually been around, I think, since the 1960s. But mainly the OTs were the only ones who knew about it. And it's not even in the diagnostic manual yet, the big DSM that everyone talks about, to have a diagnosis. But um, it still gets lumped into autism and the pervasive developmental disorder umbrella. Uh-huh. But, so yeah, it's it the, difficult. Yes, but it's the OTs that would be the ones to go to. Okay, excellent. And tell us a little bit about some of the strategies you've tried or trying, like you had mentioned in our email communication, like allergy-free diets and Wilbarger. Have those things helped or, you know, are they separate? Can you elaborate a little bit? Sure. I think the biggest thing that helped us um, get him to reach his potential was the allergy-free diet and the biomedical intervention. Uh, We started seeing an integrationist right around four years old, and he was able to do a whole lot of blood work and tell us what he was allergic to. And um, the gut and the immune and the nervous system are tightly tied together and functioning. So what you eat really does affect how your brain works. And the more you start digging in and understanding all of that and researching it, it's mind-blowing. But um, he was allergic to gluten and dairy and artificial food dyes. And as we slowly pulled those out of his diet, he started making eye contact. He started calming down and he started being able to focus and really um, understand what was going on in the world around him. And then came OT. And that was the other huge key to our success was all of those deficits that he had from being delayed OT was able to start catching that up. It made his body ready. The biomedical made his body ready to have the OT and all of those benefits started sticking. So the biggest part of OT, I think, was the listening therapy. He had um, some modulated music, little headphones that played music in a certain way that it stimulated the brain. And where I talked about kind of having that country road of the brain, it kind of made Uh it into that super highway. So it actually created more neural pathways for all of that sensory information to start tra- traveling and getting processed. And it was an amazing experience because he started feeling pain. He started feeling temperature. These wow. things, yes, these things that we didn't even fully understand he wasn't feeling at the time. It, we started seeing him, you know, really start progressing. The emotional jumps, the, you know, just the mental jumps, everything started So the listening therapy was huge. It's so interesting how you mentioned like not feeling pain because I've had one of my children a little close to that spectrum. You know, he's now much older, but probably had I known a lot more back then, I might have looked into it a little bit further. You know, there's there's sensory avoiders and then there's sensory seekers, right? And there's responders and over responders. Can is it too difficult to touch a little bit on those different categories? Yeah, it's those you mentioned four, and I, I feel like it's really kind of two sides to the same coin. You've got your seekers who are under responsive. It's kind of like if you think of them having a sensory bucket, their little sensory bucket is always half empty. And then you've got your avoiders that are hypersensitive to everything, and their buckets are to the brim, they're going to go over at any point. So I like that. I like the two categories that actually clears it up a lot. 
Yes. Yeah. And and what makes it even confusing, <laughs> where you think you get it clear and then it starts getting confusing on you again, is that where I consider my son a dominant seeker, he definitely has some avoider traits. And on some days, he swings completely avoider and only has maybe a couple of seeker traits. So I think that's really true because even yes. if you look at different sensory systems in ourselves. For example, I know I'm a seeker when it comes to touch. I like a weighted blanket, but but I'm auditorily an avoider or just like really hyper responsive to certain noises, you know? Yes, absolutely. Tell us a little bit, are there silver linings in this? I mean, obviously you've touched on the fact that you're getting to know yourself. So as you've journeyed through this, have you found things that are made it, you know, mm-hmm kind of where you found that silver lining and all of it. Oh yeah, absolutely. I talk a lot in the book about positive mindset shifts that saved our family and how SPD really was a life-saving and a family-saving diagnosis. Because once we understood what was going on, we were able to react and come together as a family. And the understanding of how the sensory system works and how each family member, you know, like we talked about, everybody has preferences. Even my daughter, who is neurotypical, tends to be on the anxious side. So we were even able to help her understand. So the amount of self-reflection and getting everybody to really look inward and to connect together and how we best fit together. I just, when we talk, the name of the book is Sensational Kids, Sensational Families. And it's true. (laughs) When you really Uh start working it all together, it makes your whole family sensational. Because it's almost like you have this other layer of knowledge that people don't understand and the self-reflection. And I mean, Jacob, just as a person is amazing. He's hilariously funny. He keeps (laughs) us laughing all the time. And it's because he lives so much in the moment. And that's one thing about SPD that I've noticed in general, they experience their environment in such a way that they really carpe diem. And it is in the moment. It makes you slow down and stop what you're doing to literally smell the roses that they think is wonderful or the little spider that's building a web that they see that you don't see. Uh-huh. Or, you know, I love that. Chimes, yeah. All that ringing now, on right? porch. It is just amazing. Yes. We need that type of reflection and, you know, inner peace with it all. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what's going on right now is we're all having to stop and be in the moment. And a lot of people don't know how because our, our society has gotten so, you know, productive driven They don't know how to stop and be self-reflective and just to be. Mm -hmm. And that's some of these things. These are these kids' strengths, whether it's SPD or autism or Asperger's. These are their strengths. So they're actually teaching us how to live a better life at this moment. Right. And are there certain things that you could suggest to therapists or parents that are listening that are just generally good filters to help with sensory processing, whether it's movement or vibration or music? Yes, I think a sensory rich diet. When we talked about that little sensory bucket being whether it's kind of half empty or if it's full to the brim, if you can figure out some very purposeful movement that is either going to fill that bucket up to help with the focus and regulation, or if it's going to de-stress that bucket and bring it down to normal to help, you know, with Mm -hmm. that regulation, you're going to have much better days. So Jacob really regulates through deep pressure and movement. 
So he, when he was really little, we did a whole lot of wheelbarrow walking. We did a whole lot of rolling him up in a blanket like a burrito and pressing on him with a pillow. He did a lot of heavy lifting. We'd fill up two liter bottles with water and have him, you know, move him around the house. We bowled with him. We threw him all in a bucket. You know, we did all sorts of things. And then what about the behavioral component? Because whenever I have worked with parents and they have sensory questions and we're looking for strategies, like maybe it is like jumping up and down. I've always said that there has to be child's involvement and understanding why they're doing it, advocating for themselves, and then setting some boundaries on the behavior. And so, you know, there's always that question, is it sensory or is it behavior? Like which came first? Because sometimes parents just see the behavior and they think, oh, it's a behavior problem, right? Right. That was one of the problems with Jacob. And that's one of the hardest things Um, Not only from the professionals, like from the doctors and people, I actually had a pediatrician tell me that if I learned how to properly discipline, that um, he would stop a lot of that behavior. So obviously I didn't go back to that pediatrician and I kept looking and had to find the right team to build around me, you know, to work with this kid because it was not a behavior issue, but a whole lot of family members, a whole lot of um, friends, you know, you, you get a whole lot of pushback because they think, well, if you'll just discipline him, then he'll stop a lot of it. And that's not true. But um, I really became one of those parents that they're still kids. And of course, they're going to push the, you know, push the boundaries. But I discipline the behavior first. And then we start backing up and figuring out now, why did that happen after the fact? And what can we do next time to make sure? And he's 10 years old now. He's thriving academically, socially, emotionally. We're in a really great place. But there's still times when, you know, one of us will start getting frustrated with the other one for whatever behavior, and we have to stop what we're doing. We have to talk about it, and we have to start figuring out proactively what's causing you to feel this way, and how are we going to better handle it? Because they still have to learn, and they still have to learn new ways of behaving, and they have to grow in all of that, just like a regular kid would. Yeah, I love that, and I think that applies to even children who don't have a sensory processing disorder, you know, when you, when you get off to stop and reflect and go back and say, okay, yeah. what happened there? Like, how can I do that better next time? What do I need? Right. Yeah. It all comes down to what do you need? <laughs> that's, right. that's the basis of everything. If we can figure out how to meet our basic needs, then it's one thing I think of all of your processing is really like a pyramid and your sensory is at the bottom and on your sensory is built motor skills and on your motor skills are built the cognitive skills in a very basic pyramid. So if you can meet your needs at the bottom and be a well-rounded and regulated person, then your motor skills and your cognitive, your emotional ability, all of that's going to fall in place after that. Uh, that's great. That's a great visual. And, mm-hmm. and emotional, would you say like your emotional abilities, you know, emotional intelligence or social mm-hmm. skills is on top of that? I would think so. Definitely. Yeah. Your social coping, all of that, because that's very advanced when you start getting into the emotional part and being able to take other people's perspectives. All of that's very advanced functioning. Uh Uh-huh. Okay, that's awesome. And tell us a little bit about your book and where people can find it and where they can find you if they want to reach out. Sure. Um, Sensational Kids, Sensational Families, Hope for Sensory Processing Differences. You can get it on Amazon. It's really kind of a, um, I heard this other mom describe it as a boots on the ground because I'm a mother. I have lived it. 
I had trouble getting all of this research intervention strategies and things together because I felt like I was working alone for a whole lot of the time until I started building the right team around me. And I didn't want other families to have to struggle like I did. So I've written kind of the self-help manual of what worked for my family in hopes that our story can affect yours. I would love for anybody to get it. And I'm always available. I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. If people want to connect, I'm happy to try to help answer questions. And I don't know everything, but um, what I do know, I'll share. And what I don't know, I have a whole team that I can, you know, figure things out with. Right. And I love that your book is from a parent's perspective. Yeah, thank you. I'll also add um, it's a parent's perspective, but it also has professional commentary by the occupational therapist that helped our family so much. And, uh, her name's Hannah Reagan, and she did a wonderful job. And so she did a lot of question and answers behind my sections. So that's kind of an added benefit to get to read the professional side as well. Well, that's great. And I happen to be a lover of occupational therapists. So yes. <laughs> As a physical therapist, I happen to love OTs. Yes. If we all work together, you know, if everybody works together, we can really make a difference. Absolutely. Well, stay healthy and have a great evening. And thank you again. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening and sharing. I really appreciate your helping me spread tips that might be of help to someone you know. And remember that why is not near as important as what and how. Have a special day.